Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Currington as he shares this week's message. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Matthew chapter 24 and keep your finger there. We may move around a little bit today. Again, I always want to encourage you to bring your Bible. Today I want to talk about build an ark. Build an ark. If Noah had built the ark today, could you imagine what it might be like? It might be something like this. The Lord speaks to Noah and said, In six months I'm going to make it rain until the whole world is covered with water and all the evil things are destroyed. But I want to save a few good people and two of every living thing on the planet, and I'm ordering you to build an ark. And in a flash of lightning, he delivered the specifications for the ark. Okay, Noah says, trembling with fear and fumbling with the blueprints, I'm your man. Six months pass, the skies begin to cloud up, the rains begin to fall in torrents, and the Lord looked down and he saw Noah sitting in his yard weeping. And there was no ark. Noah shouted the Lord, where is my ark? A lightning bolt crashed into the ground right beside Noah just to get his attention. Lord, please forgive me, he begged. I did my best, but there were some very big problems. First, I had to get a building permit for the ark's construction. But your plans did not meet their code. So I had to hire an engineer to redo the plan, only to get into a long long argument with him about whether to include a, a sprinkler system or not. My neighbors objected, claiming that I was violating the zoning ordinances by building an ark in my front yard, so I had to get a variance from the city planning board. Then I had a big problem getting enough wood for the ark because there was a ban on cutting trees to save the spotted owl. I tried to convince the environmentalists and the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service that I needed the wood to save the owls, but they wouldn't even let me catch the owls. Next, I started gathering up the animals, but got sued by the animal rights group that objected to me using only two of kind. But then when the suit got dismissed, the EPA notified me that I couldn't complete the ark without filling out an environmental impact statement on your proposed flood. They didn't didn't take kindly to the idea that they had no jurisdiction over the supreme being. Then the corps of engineers wanted a map of the proposed floodplain, so I sent them a globe. Right now, I'm trying to revolve. <laughs> you got it. Very good. Right now, I'm trying to resolve a complaint with the Equal Opportunities Commission over how many minorities I'm supposed to hire. The IRS has seized all my assets, claiming that I'm trying to leave the country. And I just got to notice at the state that I owe some kind of use tax. Really, I don't think I can finish the ark in less than five years. With that, the sky cleared, the sun began to shine, and a rainbow arched across the sky. Noah looked up and smiled and said, You mean you're not going to destroy the world after all? No, said the Lord, the government already has. As we go on, though, we can chuckle about that. But as we come to the end of summer, and we celebrate here the Labor Day weekend, I thought it would be a good time to reflect on God's original mandate to man concerning labor. Too often we consider labor or work as a curse, something that is foisted upon us, something that we want to avoid, something that we want to put away or neglect, rather than something to embrace. 
It's true that one of the curses God placed on man after the fall, found in Genesis chapter 3, you'll see it here on the monitor, in verse 17, it says, because God speaking here, Yahweh speaking to Adam, says, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I've commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat all eat of it all the days of your lives. Thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat of the plants of the field. And by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it, you were taking for your dust and a dust you shall return. So many times we read that and think, oh, see, work is cursed. We should not work. That was not God's original plan. However, in spite of that curse, we find out that God had mandated man to work prior to the fall. It's why we are created. In the creation mandate, God assigned, excuse me, Adam with the responsibility of mediating his kingdom here on earth. Adam was instructed to work and keep the garden. Richard D. Phillips, in his book, The Masculine Mandate, writes that to work is, means to labor, to make things grow. It involves nurturing, cultivating, tending, building up, gilding, and ruling. Whereas to keep means to protect and to sustain the progress already achieved. It involves guarding, keeping safe, watching over, caring for, and maintaining. And we recognize that Adam failed to do that in the garden when it came to not only the the garden itself and to the tree, but even his own wife. He goes on to state, I believe we may have this on the monitor. He says, we are to devote ourselves to working, building, and keeping protecting everything placed into our charge. Our mandate to work means that we should be devoting ourselves to be to building good things and accomplishing worthwhile results. Christian men should also desire to cultivate something worthwhile for the glory of God and the well-being of their fellow man. He goes on to write that our garden includes not merely things, the place where we work, our vocation, but also people. Our calling is to cultivate, means that we are to be involved in the hearts of of the people that God has placed in our care. That could be your spouse, it could be your children, your grandchildren, it could be those that you work alongside with, your neighbors, so on and so forth. A man's fingers should be accustomed to working in the soil of the human heart. I love that word picture. As you can imagine, someone that's garden, that's, that's needy, that's getting dirty, that's getting through the worms and everything else. We need, we need to do that in each other's lives. It's dirty, messy work, but something that we should find joy And see it as a privilege. He says it's the heart of those he serves and loves that he might accomplish some of the most valuable and important work of this life. Unfortunately, many of you, if you've been like me, there have been times where you've had jobs or work that really wasn't very important or didn't seem important. But we need to recognize that work is something that God has given to each of us. Each of us has a vocation. And in that, that labor is something that we are to embrace and do for the glory of God. Now, of course, since the fall, all of this is much more complicated and difficult and many times unsatisfying. How many times have you finished a day and just felt unsatisfied? Like you haven't accomplished. And men, if you felt that way, you now find what it means to be a housewife at the end of the day. 
as she's still picking up not only the toys from the kids and finishing the dishes, but picking up your old socks and shoes and putting them where they need to be. But it doesn't matter how that is. The Apostle Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3 that whatever you do, work hardly as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, for some of our teenagers here and young people, your work then is still, you may not be going to a day job, but you have work to do at school and at home. The chores you might have, uh, being obedient and honoring your parents, those are things that God has called you to do as to the Lord. You may get a check signed by some business or some CEO, but at the end of that check is... Christ is the Father who has given you all these things so that you may supply your needs according to His riches. These are His things that He's given you. So as we consider our labor, our mandate to work, to glorify God in all that we do, I want us to contemplate on what are you spending your time, your energy, and finances in working, keeping, protecting, guarding, and building. What is it that you're doing? How are you doing that in your life? What are the different ways that you have your fingers into the soil of either work or the heart of the people in your lives? There are so many distractions today, so many ways to keep us from accomplishing the work that God has given us to do. One man warns that one of Satan's favorite schemes is getting us to use legitimate things in an illegitimate way. Get that? One of Satan's favorite schemes is to, is to get us to do legitimate things in an illegitimate way. This includes our labor, our vocation, our time, and our finances. Either we put too much emphasis on our work or we put too little. We work too hard or too little. We keep ourselves busy with work or procrastinate and avoid it. We love to keep ourselves busy to distract us from the rigors and suffering of life, or we chase after entertaining ourselves to keep ourselves distracted. In our passage today, Jesus warns us to be vigilant even in our work. So with that, I believe you should have your Bible turned to Matthew chapter 24. We're going to look at verse 36. It is here still on the monitor, but again, I encourage you to bring your Bible. And here Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he is warning them about a day that is coming. And in verse 36 of 24, we read this, But concerning that day, that hour, that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the last days, or for as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For in those days before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage. Now, I, that's very important. Once again, in those days before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Father, give us wisdom as we consider this passage of Scripture, as we consider our labor, as we consider our vocation, our work, the things that we build, the things that we pour our energy to, the things that we aspire to, things that we dream and hope in. Lord, that we may bring them into what your word has to say as it trains us in doctrine and reproof and correction and instruction in righteousness. May your spirit have free reign. In your name we pray. Amen.
William McDonald in the Believer's Bible Commentary writes of this passage that Jesus is describing the action and the attitudes of the people, saying that in those days, however, most people, speaking of the days when Christ, right before Christ comes, that the people will be indifferent, just as in the days of Noah. During those 120 years when God gave Noah the instructions to build, and, and Noah, he was preaching, but they saw him building it, but yet they were indifferent to his warnings. In the same way, Jesus is saying is that this society, this world, will be indifferent to the word of God. Although the days before the flood were terribly wicked, that is not the feature that's emphasized here. And that's very important. The people ate, drank, married, gave in marriage. In other words, they went through the routines of life as if they were going to live forever. The Bible calls that a fool. A fool is someone who says there is no God. A fool is one who says that I will never stand and give account of my life and actions and thoughts. Though warned that a flood was coming, they lived as if they were flood proof. When it came, they were unprepared. Outside, the only place of safety. He goes on to write that it's just the way it is or will be when Christ returns. Only those who are in Christ, the ark of safety, will be delivered. Now, I want to make two quick points. First, Jesus is coming again. Let me say that again. Jesus is coming again. Amen. That's right. Say it again. Jesus is coming again. To be honest, thank you. I didn't expect that type. And here's why I say that. I think it's important for us to get, because I think that we live in a generation of even those who profess Christ that are indifferent to that truth. Why? Because we have a lot of empty seats here. Regular tenders, members, others. We're living our lives as if we're flood-proof. We got fire insurance. I'm okay. My neighbor, well, if he didn't get it, it's his problem. Did you tell him? Eh, well, you know, should have known. Make no mistake about this. In Acts 1, as Jesus is ascending into heaven, the angel says to the disciples, we saw this back when in Bay, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? Remember as we gazed at the balloons that were going up? This is Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, and he will, <coughs> excuse me, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Jesus himself told his disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Jesus' return is our blessed hope, and it's the motivation for you and I to pursue godliness and holiness. As the author of Hebrews promises that it's appointed unto man once to die. And after that comes the judgment. 
So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save they, those who are eagerly waiting for him. And to be honest, I'm wondering if you and I could be described as men and women who are eagerly waiting for his return. One of the things I was sharing with the elders and some pastors this past week was in 1 Thessalonians where it was describing the attitude and the heart of the church of Thessalonica. And one of the things it says that they, they turned from false gods to the living God, to serve the living God, and waited for Christ's return. That was 2,000 years ago. Christ has tarried. He has been patient but are we eagerly waiting for him? So first, you and I need to recognize that Jesus is coming again. Secondly, his return will bring judgment. Now, this affects not only just the Christian, but it affects those who are not Christ, are part of Christ's family, those who are not in the ark of his safety. I'm talking about our, some of our spouses, some of our children, our family, our friends. His return will bring judgment. The apostles declare in Acts chapter 10 that Jesus has commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. Peter warns in his first letter that all who reject Christ will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Look here in the monitor as John writes in his revelation uh, vision. He says, then I saw a great white throne and him who seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great, the small standing before the throne and the books were open. Then another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. You are not going to die or hide from God. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Could you imagine if you and I lived, if you and I could, could, could go back in a time and see Noah, by day, probably working on the ark at night, going to his neighbors and to those around him, listen, a flood is coming. A flood is coming. They ignored him. Probably just like Lot's son-in-laws who laughed at him when he said, Sodom is going to be destroyed. And here we are preaching and teaching this same warning. Yet people are indifferent. However, could you imagine if Noah and his family were building the ark and after the end of the day, they just called it a day, sat in the recliner, watched TV, went to bed early, not once warning their neighbors, their families, their others, that judgment was coming. That's probably where the church is today. Knowing these two things, we come to realize that it's important for us to take Christ's words seriously. 
Each moment we are getting closer to the return of Christ in the day of judgment. Jesus warns his disciples about adopting the attitudes and actions of those in the days of Noah. To understand that, let's go back and review what we've learned from Noah in our past studies. And Genesis, turn back if you would real quickly to Genesis chapter 6. And let's go to verse 5. Very several centuries after the beginning of creation, it says that the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of his thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I've made them. We learn from this passage that the people were very wicked, that their hearts were continually intent on evil, and that the earth was filled with violence. Though the scriptures are, are cited on how long it took for, Mo, or for, our, uh, for Moses, for, for Noah to build the ark, most scholars believe it took 25 to 98 years to build. Not sure how they come up with that, but that's how they thought. To stock it with food and gather the animals to build it 25 to 98 years. And despite the warnings, they continued to live life normally with no regard for the warning. And with the same attitude, people throughout history, despite distress, persecution, and upheavals, are continuing to live their lives as if nothing is happening. Churches, people, those who profess Christ are eating, drinking, getting married, enjoying life going through their Netflix and everything else as if Christ is not going to return and judgment is coming. So Jesus likens the people of the end age with these early generation. The Women Can Guide to the Bible makes several similarities between the two. See it up here on the screen, I believe. A preoccupation with physical appetites, a, a, gro a grossly materialistic attitudes and interests, inordinate devotion to pleasure and comfort, no concern for God and either belief or conduct, a disregard for the sacredness of marriage, the rejection of the inspired word of God, a widespread violence, a preoccupation with illicit sexual activity. Now that was describing Noah's day and describing Jesus' generation, but does that describe our generation as well? <coughs> what is it that Solomon said? There's nothing new under the sun. Due to this outright rebellion against their creator, God declared that he would wipe the entire world population out with a flood. Only Noah and his family would be spared. You know, what's interesting to note, by the way, is that Methuselah was Noah's grandfather, the oldest man to live. And whether or not he died right before the flood, he died the year of the flood, but God didn't save him. Interesting. Just a side note. To prepare, some of you might want to do a study on that, and you could share it with us sometime. To prepare for them for this worldwide calamity, he instructed Noah to build an ark to save them from this deluge. <clears throat> As we read earlier in our scripture, Yahweh instructed Noah to build an ark according to the specific instructions, promising that his obedience would secure the safety and the well-being of his family, along with preserving the human race uh, and land and air animals. As we know, Noah obeyed Yahweh, 
and through him, God reinstituted the creation mandate to multiply and be fruitful. So that's what I want us to, to introduce and to observe is, is God says, Christ is coming again. Judgment is coming. Do not be like Noah, the days of Noah. Do not be indifferent to these truths. Especially as we live in a world, it's very much like the world of those two scenarios we saw. Because here we are, several millenniums have come and gone, and not much have changed. The world still is wicked and rebellious towards its maker. Theologian D.A. Carson emphasizes that Jesus' warning informs us of the next major stop or step, excuse me, of God's redemptive plan. But it does not pinpoint his return. The point of Jesus' warning is not when he is coming, not to look for signs of his coming, but to be prepared at all times, to be ready to go at all times, and to not fall in the same trap of those who do not believe. So with that in mind, I am taking some pastoral license this morning in adapting the build an ark command for us today. Not that there is a worldwide flood awaiting us, but encouragement for you and I to build a place of safety and security for ourselves, for our families, for our friends, for our neighbors, in a world that is very hostile to our faith. What I'm saying is that you and I cannot be indifferent to these two truths. We must be involved in building an ark. And I want to share with you three things that were to build in that ark, three ways that were built. Number one, you and I need to build a life that is honoring to God. Now I'm talking here right now to singles, married, parents, grandfathers, retirees, uh, young people in high school, young people in, uh, in, in elementary. We need to build lives that are honoring to God. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, what? A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service or is your spiritual worship. He goes on to say in Romans, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let me tell you, there is not, sometimes we have this idea is, well, I wait till I get married and I have children, and then I'll start pursuing the things of God. No, you need to do that today. For Christ may come before that day. You know, we pray, Lord, don't come before I get married. Don't pray till I have children. Lord, don't pray until this and this and that and that. You know, and we keep putting off. We want to put off Christ's return instead of waiting for it eagerly. We want to avoid it. We want to push it off. But we need to say, no, come today. As we take communion, that's one of the things we're saying. We're taking it till the Lord comes. And our desire is, is Maranatha, come quickly, Lord. But we need to be pursuing the things of God. We need to be building in our lives the things that protect our minds and our hearts. As the Bible tells us to guard our hearts, it's important for us to realize that as God's chosen children, that we are called to pursue holiness and godliness we are not to recognize or we are to recognize that we are not of this world nor to love the things of this world. The problem is, is you, when you and I consider the temporary things of this world are more important than the heavenly things. 
that's when we become not only indifferent, but actually maybe a little bit more on the scale. We're not hot nor cold, we're just lukewarm. We're indifferent. We forget that we're exiles, simply sojourners of this world, waiting for the Savior's return to come in power and majesty. We need to abandon the world's influence and pursue the promises of Christ. The promises of God the Father is found in Scripture. So you and I need to build a life that is honoring to God, not realizing that everything that you're building in your life, the things that you're taking in, the things that you're letting out, you are building a structure. Is it one of safety? Is it one of honoring of God? Or is it indifferent to the things of God? Number two, we need to build strong and stable marriages and families. We need to build strong and stable marriages and families, especially in a day and age where marriage is no longer in high regard. And when children are now considered accessories and just expenses. Delano Squires tweets that there is no greater example of privilege in America today than a child who grows up with his married biological parents in a stable and loving home. How strong and stable is your marriage? How strong and stable is your family? The first institution that God ordained was the marriage and then the family. Unfortunately, the world wants to define remarriage and reconstitute families into their own ideas. Pastor Gabriel Hughes tweeted out this week, I believe it's on the monitor, that the family is under attack. You need to understand this. And their, their main weapon against you is the public school system. Hence why I encourage your parents, reconsider. The public school system is their first uh, uh, volley against you. Therefore, he says, the greatest warriors are a husband who loves his wife as Christ loves the church, a wife who submits to her husband as the church submits to Christ, and children who obey their parents in the Lord, for this is right. Husbands, love your wives. Live with them in an understanding way. Wives, submit to your husbands and support them as they lead in godly ways. Fathers, do not provoke your children to to anger. Mothers, do not neglect nurturing your children. Parents, lead your families to honor and fear God. Above all else, work and keep, protect and guard that which God has gifted you. You say, but I'm not a parent anymore. My children are grown or... Maybe I'm no longer married or I'm a widow. Well, if you have grandchildren, there's your soil. Here's where your finger needs to get deep into the soil of. Still in your children, your relationship may change, but you're still their parent. Your role now may be as a coach. It may be as an advisor, a counselor. (coughs) But we must realize that we still need to be involved in building stable families and marriages. You say, mine's already blown up. Well, then work in trying to put it together. Ask for forgiveness where it's needed. Humbly come before them and work to to bring the family back together. Why? So that your family can be safe that day when Christ comes. And when the day of judgment comes, they're on your side as we stand before God. And he says, well done. Not on the day when he says, depart from me, I never knew you. The worst family separation is going to come at the great white throne. God is separating the goats from the sheep. May all your family be sheep. That's our prayer. 
And if there's any separation, we pray that you would do all that you can. Do not be indifferent to the truth that Christ is coming and then judgment. Then thirdly, build a church community that's faithful to Scripture. Build a church community that is faithful to Scripture. The church is more than a religious organization or a meeting of like-minded people. Lehman and Hansen in their book, Rediscover Church, we saw this last summer in our, our spring session, our summer session of ACC. He defines the church as this. I believe it's here on the monitor. He says, the church is a group of Christians who assemble on an earthly or assemble as an earthly embassy of Christ's heavenly kingdom. And so when you and I come together, this is an ark of safety. Why? So that we may proclaim the good news and commands of Christ the King. That's what we do. And I'm not proclaiming to you my wisdom or opinion. I'm proclaiming you to the word of Christ. To affirm one another as citizens through the ordinances, speaking of baptism and, and the Lord's Supper. So we're here together to affirm our love and encourage one another. And then to display God's own holiness and love through a unified and diverse people in all the world. It doesn't matter what economic, social background, doesn't matter what your inheritance, your ethnicity is. We are coming together as diverse and, and, and um, uh, unified, but unified people in love and holiness. We're not indifferent. Following the teaching and examples of the uh, elders. That's why we encourage you for membership. And we're going to have a membership class coming up in October for those of you who might be interested to know about our church and what it is it means to be a member, what's expected of those who are members. But we need to build a strong and stable, loving community. It's faithful to Scripture. Why? Because this is an ark. This is a place that we can invite others and we can warn them and share with them that Christ is coming, that judgment is on its way. Attending, supporting, and serving in this gathering is more important today as it was then. As the author of Hebrew writes again on the monitor, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some is, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Unfortunately, we have members and attenders and those who just profess Christ who are indifferent to our gathering. I want to encourage you, our gathering is important. Be here before the call of worship. The call of worship is the calling of gathering. Get here before time, meet and greet. Be ready to, to pray together for a moment of silence and then to read the scripture, getting our minds and hearts. Someone has said that Sunday begins with Saturday night preparation. Be ready. Do not be indifferent to the gathering of God's people. The last thing you want to do is stand before God. And he says, why were you not on church on Sunday, September the 4th? As I called and gathered my people to meet. And you say, ah, man, yeah, I had some things to do. Places to be. People to meet. Could you stand? Could you imagine saying that before a holy God? Uh, there may be a rebuke that needs to come to some of you. A challenge. And maybe some I want to continue to encourage because you have been faithful. You are here. You are ready to go. You are ready to serve the love. 
But this is an ark of safety that God has called us to build together. And here at OVC, we want to reach up and reach in and reach out so that we may accomplish the purpose of God as we serve as the aroma of Christ. Some will be attracted to our fragrance while others will be repelled. Yet as Kim Ham says, the days are evil and our time here on earth is short. But reaching others with the saving gospel while we are here has eternal importance. Hence why we do things like the craft fair, why we do things like the estate planning, and we do things like the picnic. Yeah, those things all have secondary, but the first is we want to introduce them to Orangeville Bible Church. And they may not be ready to attend our church today, but when there's a death in the family, when there's a marriage that is exploding, who might they then think of to call for counseling, for help? to say words over their loved ones. Orange Villa. Many times I put up with the parking issue that we have and become irritating. I spend a lot of time cleaning up after the people. But again, as I try to monitor the best, I want to share with them that, hey, there may be a time when you need us. I actually have a flyer that says that I put on their cars from time to time. Hey, I've noticed that you've enjoyed our free parking lot. How I would like to invite you to see are the inside of our church as well on Sundays. I haven't gotten any response to that yet, but I'm going to keep putting them out there. Why? Because time is short. We are closer to the day of Christ's return and the day of judgment than you were when you walked through those doors. How safe is your ark? Do you have a leaky little raft? Or do you have a strong, stable family, a strong, strong, stable spiritual life and invested in a strong spiritual truth? Steve Lawson, an evangelist that I enjoy. And by the way, if you're ever on YouTube and you want to hear some preaching, Steve Lawson, recommend it. You probably will never come back to me, but I'm telling you, the guy is awesome. Look at what he says. Life is short. Death is sure. Judgment is coming. Eternity is looming. Heaven is awaiting. And hell is heating. But you don't really need to know that because to be honest, we're just kind of indifferent to those things, right? Take a picture of that, would you? Write that down. Share that with your family and friends. Let's not be indifferent to that. Let's encourage each other. Now, as we come to the the end of the message, it's important for us to understand several things about you and I building a life, building a marriage, building a family, and building a church. Number one, we cannot build anything stable or strong unless we rely on God. It's not about us and our endeavors. The psalmist sings in 127, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. You can do everything you can to, to, to make yourself right, to, to build a family, to make your marriage right, and come to church. But let me tell you, if you do not have Jesus Christ, if you have not repented of your sin and put your trust in Him, then it's all in vain. Let it not be so. Brothers and sisters, I don't want to go to heaven and find out that we're not. And that our labor was in vain. If you have not yet accepted Christ, would you do so today? Today is the day of salvation. Taste and see that God is good. Recognize that the day of, of accounting is coming. Please come to Christ. 
Jesus must be first in your life. Jesus must be first in your marriage and in your parenting. He must be first in our church. Please do not be indifferent to the things of Christ, for he was not indifferent to you. Number two, the only foundation strong enough to build upon is Christ and his word. If you've got a book by Dr. Spock, anyone remember Dr. Spock? Not from great Star Trek, but Dr. Spock, the, the child psychologist. Can you do me a favor? Can you get that book out? Could you take it over to your trash can and just toss it in there? And that would be for any of the self-help books and motivation things that come from any woman magazine. Build your life, your family, your marriage on the word of God. There is no foundation other than Christ and what's found in his word through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible is relevant for today. It tells you all things. It may not tell you who to marry, but it will tell you what type of person to marry. Not only that, it will tell you what person for you to be for God to give you the gift of a woman. One of the wisest words I ever heard a young man say is, you know what, I know I'm not the man I need to be right now, but I want to be that man. As he spoke to a young lady who didn't want to date him at the time, he realized enough humility. I would tell you, if you're single today, do not date anyone who's indifferent to the things of God. If your children are indifferent to the things of God, then parents, you need to show them the beauty and the majesty. If your wife, your husband, is indifferent to the things of God, then pray for them. Live your life as a fragrance, aroma of Christ. Jesus himself warned in Matthew 7, and I'm going to go through this quickly. I'm not even going to have you turn. Jesus says, anyone who hears the word of mine and does not do him is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. When the rains came and the floods came up, that house stood firm. We think of that old song. I don't know if you ever sung that when you were a kid. The wise man built his house upon the rock. Wise man built his house. But the one who hears my word and does not do him is like the man who built his house on the sand. When the rains came, the floods came, the house just went smash. Are you a wise man or are you a foolish man? What's the difference? Both heard the word of God, but only the wise man followed through. Number three, do not get discouraged or distracted. Do not become indifferent. Many times in our labor, we can become discouraged or distracted and we get off kilter and we stop doing it. Maybe there's moments where we're doing family worship, but we get discouraged because it's not working. We get distracted because of TV or school and all these other things. Uh, you know, you cannot do that. Let me tell you, for those who are trying to do family worship, we struggle the same way as our kids growing up. If all you do is read one sentence in the Bible and then pray, then you are doing family worship. And if you're looking for good resources, I have them on my desk, already bought, willing to give to you that some of you I have. Don't make family worship so difficult that it is hard to do. In the same way in your own devotions, don't make it so difficult that it's difficult to keep, that it's easy to get distracted or discouraged. Make it simple. The Apostle Paul writes, 
Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Same is saying, listen, I built it. I poured into my children. I poured into my spouse. I poured into a church. But I am just not seeing any shape of an ark. It's actually kind of empty. I, I hear the echo, 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 echo as I go in there. I'm worried that I'm going to be as a sheep and, and others are going to be as a goat. And you may say, what does my life mean anymore? I've done all that, but God has not blessed my labors. Let me share with you that, yes, he has. If you've labored in the Lord, it will not go in vain. Unfortunately, that does not mean that your spouse or your family, your children may come into that ark of safety. That is heart-wrenching, heartbreaking. But we trust that God still honors and blesses our labor the dirt of our fingers into the soil of the heart of the people we love and care for. So let us stand firm during these turbulent times, trusting in the person and the promises of God the Father. Whether you are single, you're a young person still in school, you're married with children, uh, your parents or married without children or a grandparent, we are commanded to be prepared by pursuing holiness and godliness through submission to God's word and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let me give you this. Uh, we're, we're near the end of our time. Write this passage of scripture, or if you can turn to it, let's do it real quickly. First uh, Timothy we, by the way, are reading 1 Timothy chapter 4, uh, 4 through 6 uh, for 30 days during the month of September. You may join us if you'd like. If you haven't joined us up to this point, this is a good place to jump in. But 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul is writing to Timothy. He's encouraging this young man in the ministry. Timothy was his problem solver, his troubleshooter. And in 1 Timothy chapter 4, you may want to write this down and underline it for next, or for you to go through with your family. First, he says, having nothing to do with an irreverent or silly myths. But here's the key. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Can you underline that, circle it, highlight it? For while bodily training is of some value, we should do that. Godliness is of a value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for what? The life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive. What is it that you toil and strive? Are you laboring for the man? Are you laboring for just a paycheck? For a retirement? For a vacation? For your time of entertainment? Because we have our hopes set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Let us not be guilty of indifference. Let us not be guilty of busyness, keeping ourselves so busy that we leave out the things of God. And let us not be busy or let us not be indifferent or fooled and been distracted by entertaining ourselves to death. I think that's more what we have today. We want less hours, more pay, so we can spend more time doing our stuff. Let's build an ark. For Christ is coming. 
Judgment is coming. Let us bring into ark those whom we love and care for so they too can find the safety that's found in Christ. Amen? Their head bowed and everybody closed. I'm going to ask Randy to come up. But I just want you to take a moment to pause and consider the words. For some it was a rebuke, for some it was encouragement, for some it was a challenge. But I pray that you consider the words of Christ and found here the warnings. And then would you pray and ask the Holy Spirit to guide you in how you should respond. In what ways? In what ways do you need to trust God more? In what ways do you need to be building? In what ways are you indifferent to the things of God? You might need to repent. You might need to humble yourself. But would you move to the Holy Spirit? Randy, would you come and close us in prayer? We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help hear the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.